You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I just want to read something from uh, 1 Corinthians 14. It says this. Well, my brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing. He says, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, Another will tell some special revelation God has given. Some will speak in tongues and another interpret what is said. But, but let everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So, listen, we believe the Holy Spirit's moving. We believe that God is working in people's hearts. Uh, we believe that his gifts are still for today. Um, and during worship, I had a, a friend that just kind of leaned in and said they had felt like God was saying there was some uh, people here that maybe needed prayer. So listen, we believe for healing. We pray for healing. We don't always see it. Um, if you want an answer to that, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to fully understand. But we have a team that's usually in the back, right where that lamp is, ready to pray for you at any time. And uh, someone would meet you back there. But the person that really felt like God spoke this to them this morning, that maybe there's someone dealing with some issues in their left hip, their left shoulder, and their left hand. So that could be one person, or it could be a few people. Um, a few weeks ago, I think I shared uh, uh, kind of a word of knowledge like that. Someone felt like God spoke to them. And my dad was actually at home watching online. And then a few days later, he says, hey, when you shared um, you know, that someone felt there was some healing for this issue, that was me, and it's been gone ever since. And he was at home. And we didn't pray for him specifically. So God is working, all right? It uh, doesn't matter where you are. It's really great that Jesus doesn't really know distance the same way we do. Uh, he can work with you in your car, in your shower, or in your home, or here in this building. But he wants to touch us, right? He wants to be in our lives. So um, left hip, left shoulder, left wrist, or hand. If you have some issues, we'd love to pray for you and just stand with you, okay? Um, and you can do that at the back. Uh, at the end of the service, that would be great. All right, so it's 11.12. I got lots of time, don't I? Um, no, it's okay. I can be really fast and make my point quick. But listen, we've been, we started a series last week, All for Love, um, and I would love to know who listened to that or watched it or was here in person. Real quick, just so I know what I'm building off of. If you haven't, I would really encourage you, if you're watching online or if you're in the room, I'd encourage you to go back and watch that because I'm trying to build from last week to Easter, specifically talking about this idea of all for love, that what God has done since the beginning of time, that was what last week was about, since the beginning of time has really been for one ultimate purpose, and that was love for his creation. And ultimately, love for his favorite creation, you and I. And it starts in Genesis 1. You know, at the end of it, when it says male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. And then it says he gave them. And he gave them. Like he was giving us the earth we live in, the animals and the plants and all those things, was really for us to enjoy a life that was designed for us since the beginning of time. Now, we also read Genesis 3 where things got a little messy. <laughs> things went awry. And in essence, we listened to lies and we listened to some deceitfulness that came and, and said, did God really say? And we ended up believing this lie. And really, we've been, leaving the, been believing those lies since then. But God's ultimate purpose 
is to restore what he, re, what he designed from the beginning. For us to have the lives and the purpose that we were designed to live. And all of that is under the basis for love. Why is he doing this? Did he just need some friends? Was he bored? I don't think so. He loved us. Even as he was creating us and as he was thinking of humanity and as he created us in that garden, however that scene looked, he was doing it out of love for his creation. And so when we come to our Father in heaven, the fact that we even call him that, we have to remember the basis of this whole thing is for love. That even when he comes and kind of puts his finger on our life and maybe points out the fact that you're living in a way that isn't good for you. I mean, so often we look at Christianity and religion and we think it's just a list of rules of, you know, don't do this, don't do all these bad things. But really it's a father who says, if you do these bad things, they're going to kill you. <laughs> they're going to hurt you. They're going to destroy your life. And so as a father, he comes and out of love, he says, don't do this. This is hurting you. Don't, don't find yourself in relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. It hurts. Don't find yourself, you know, going down this road of addiction and drinking or dealing with drugs. Don't go down that road. Why? It's going to hurt you. God didn't just make a list of rules for no reason. Even those things are all for love because of how much he cares for us. And so when we come into Christianity or we come into this religion, which really I hate even calling it that because Jesus was really quite anti-religious. He came in the most religious culture of the day and they hated him so much they killed him. Because he's really not about rules and regulations. He's about relationship and knowing the Father in heaven and knowing his nature. It's why when you walk in our church, we say, no God. Because we believe we can. We believe that as humans, we can actually come to know the nature of our Father in heaven. It's not simple always. It's not easy but that we can actually endeavor to know the nature of this one who's created everything that we understand, the air we breathe, the nature and the world we enjoy, especially on days when it's starting to warm up. This is our job as Christians, followers of Christ, is to follow Christ in knowing the Father and his design for us. And so this series is meant to culminate at Easter for us realizing, obviously, what he did on the cross was all out of love for us. But I want to build on that this morning. And so I actually want to use a story. And uh, if you have your notes, you're going to see, I'm going to talk about Joseph a little bit this morning. And we'll probably run through his life a little faster here. But if you don't know the story of Joseph, we're going to start right in Genesis 37. And I'll set it up and we'll kind of skim through some parts. But I want to highlight some, some moments here. So Genesis 37, you know, uh, quite a bit of time has passed in humanity since Adam and Joseph. And we get to this time of, of Jacob, who we kind of learn about a little bit. And Jacob is Joseph's father. When we get to chapter 37, this is what it says. This is the account of Jacob and his family. And then immediately it goes to talking about Joseph. 
When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. You know, um, some people ask me, this is a total tangent, but I just want to address it. Some people ask me, why was God okay with men having multiple wives in the Old Testament? He wasn't. Okay? He didn't change his mind later. They were just dumb and did it. Okay? And here's some repercussions of it. You'll see, his brothers hate him. (laughs) Don't need to go any further than that. And it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So let's just imagine the scenario here. Jacob, being such a wise person, patriarch is married to multiple women. Bad idea. He has many children of whom he treats them differently. And even everyone knows he loves Joseph more. So if you've been feeling bad as a parent or a Christian, you can compare yourself a little bit to Jacob. If you aren't married to more than one person, great job. If you aren't knowingly and showingly to your children loving one far more than the others, good job. Listen, sometimes I think we, we kind of elevate all of these characters in the Bible and act like they're perfect. Honestly, most of them are pretty messed up. This is not a good situation. We read it historically, and it doesn't sound like God's against it, so we, we kind of almost take like, oh, that just must have been the way back then. Well, maybe it was the way, but it wasn't a good one. So this is a bad situation already. In fact, it, the, the historical reference is just saying to us, they couldn't even say a kind word to Joseph. They just hated him. Now, Joseph might have made it worse. All right? So here he's got this robe, you know, the coat of many colors that many of us have learned about from Sunday school. You know, all of his brothers, his half-brothers know, oh, you know, Dad loves Joseph more than all of us. So let's just jump down, or let's just jump a little bit further. Or or actually, it's right there. It says, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, which he should not have done, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered round and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So let's just, I want you to really put yourself in this story. Imagine being in this family situation. Imagine being the brothers. Don't you kind of get it? Imagine being Joseph. Imagine how he feels, regardless of how his father feels about him. Imagine being hated by everyone else around you. This is not a good place. This is not, I think many of us have probably experienced little things like this in relationships all around us. Never feeling like anybody cares about us. I mean, come on, how many of us grew up 
and you always thought someone else was the favorite in the family. My brother was always trying to convince me he was the favorite. So we tried to convince him he was adopted. And now that I've adopted two kids, I'm like, man, what a jerk I was. (laughs) Now I think adoption is incredible. Just think about how this must feel in the midst of this family dynamic. So to the point where he has another dream, he tells it to his father. His father's even like, whoa, Joseph, slow down there. And we get down to verse 18. It says this, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him from a distance because of his bright coat. And as he approached them, they made plans to kill him. This has been elevated to a new level of hatred. No longer is he the annoying little brother. We want to kill him. And it says, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can just tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Just fathom this. His brothers now plot to kill him. So when he shows up from the distance, however far it was, they actually seize him, they tie him up. The only reason they don't kill him in this story is because the oldest brother, Judah, is smart. And in some ways, he he doesn't really sound like he actually cares about Joseph. He cares about his dad. And he basically says, dad will be too upset. So let's just not kill him. Plus his blood will then be on our hands. So he convinces the rest of his brothers, let's not kill him. Let's do something just so much nicer. We'll sell him into slavery. Isn't that just a better step? So they throw him in the cistern. He's there for some time. Then these travelers come and they, they sell their brother into slavery. Okay, that's, that's the beginning of Joseph's story in the Bible. So then there's a kind of a whole chapter 38. We're not going to read that. It's really actually about Judah, which is an important part of the story, but it's not for now. So we're going to jump to verse, or chapter 39. And we, we don't really know exactly how much time has passed here. But we know it's probably um, more than a year at least that he's been in slavery. And then he gets brought to Egypt and sold again. So here we are, verse 1. We'll just start there. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So here we are, the first part of Joseph's story. His brothers hate him. They plot to kill him. Instead, they sell him into slavery. He ends up in a place, not by his own choice, but really, it says God is with him, and even the person who purchased him, his his slave owner, says, you know what, God is with you, and so he seems to bless you in everything you do. I'm going to put you in charge of my whole house. And we see God do something incredible, even in the midst of unplanned difficulty. Even in the midst of Joseph's suffering. Now, I think sometimes we've read the story of Joseph, and we just think like he's probably joyous through the whole thing, because, you know, he just knows God is with him. Listen, his brothers hate him. 
They've plotted to kill him. He's been traveling around with traitors who are going to sell him into slavery. I don't think he probably has really good emotions. Imagine the distress in his life. And so he finds himself in this home and he just gets to working, whatever he does. And now he's being elevated in the middle of this home. And it seems like things are kind of good, except Potiphar's wife really likes Joseph. Listen, the Bible is more than X-rated, okay? In fact, if you read it in the English translation, the, uh, the King James writers were so embarrassed by the language that they changed it. Just so you know, the translations aren't always true to their words because the words are so embarrassingly awkward that the King James translators were like, yeah, we're not putting that. And so they put things like wild parties. I'll just let your imagination wonder what that might mean. And so in this story, they're seeing this. Potiphar's wife was basically really interested in Joseph. To the point where basically she tries to make him sleep with her. And she rips one of his clothes off. Okay, that's not like a gentle, maybe, hey, you want to come in and talk? Want to start texting? That's not what's happening here. This is like... You're coming in my bedroom, and she rips part of his clothes off. But he refuses, because he's at least somewhat smart here. And he runs away, but she's left with his cloak, his shirt. And so she screams, tells the guards that he advanced on her, and now she has his shirt to prove it. So, of course, what happens? Potiphar believes his wife, and he gets thrown in prison. So here he is again, thrown back into kind of a pit situation, back into this prison situation. He's only trying to do what he thinks is right. He's not always the smartest. You know, maybe he learned a few things from telling his brothers in his dreams that they'd bow down to him. And he's probably like, I probably shouldn't have said that. And now he gets into this situation where he's trying to avoid this woman who's interested in him, but he knows if he gets involved, it's just going to end in a mess. But it happens anyway, and he finds himself again in a situation not really by his own doing, but in prison again. Probably feeling like the whole world is against him. How many of you have said, nothing ever goes right for me? Come on. I'm the only one in the room? Oh my gosh, you guys are wonderful. You can preach next week. Come on, how many of you have had that pity party in your house, in your car, where no one can hear you? Some of you do it on Facebook, and we all see it. The whole world's against me. Nothing ever goes right for me. Why can nothing ever be the way it should be? Everything is always harder than it has to be. I think probably Joseph was feeling this way. And he finds himself in prison, but then he kind of finds himself in the same place again. Why? Because there's something built into Joseph that he doesn't just lay down even in the midst of these difficult situations, these situations he finds himself in. And so he's seen him thrown into prison, and we'll get to verse 21. 
So Potiphar, we'll start at 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about Joseph, how, how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him in the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph. You see this again. In the prison and showed him his faithful love. You know, the point of this story we're going to get to here. No matter what situation you find yourself in. Now I wish Jesus just rescued us anytime we clicked our heels together. I wish Jesus would rescue us every time we whispered a prayer. Every time we even made a bargain with him. Hey Jesus, if you come through in this way, I'll never do a bad thing again. I wish he came through in those ways, but really, he doesn't. Sometimes he rescues, sometimes he does a miracle in a moment, but usually Jesus says, no, I'll just be there with you. No, I'll just be in prison with you. I'll just be in this difficult situation with you. You see, unfortunately, we're plagued by this thing called free will. Where our choices and our decisions have consequences. And Jesus rarely rescues us from our own consequences. And sometimes they're not even our own consequences. They're just the consequences of the world. They're the consequences, consequences of the world's decisions around us. Sometimes we find ourselves in a prison, not by our own doing. And even then, Jesus is like, we're just going to have to process through this together. See, sometimes we get disillusioned with God because we think he's here just to rescue us from everything. But really, when we have this right perspective, we realize God is just here to be with us in everything. And the promise is that he'll walk us through every situation, every circumstance, every difficult place that we've found ourselves. He will walk us through if we stay with him. And that's what we see happening in Joseph's life, even to the point where, we'll see, it says, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So again, the person in authority sees Joseph, sees God's favor and his faithful love, as it was just described in the previous scripture, over Joseph's life. And so this prison warden basically puts him kind of in charge of other prisoners while he's in prison. Now, again, we don't fully know how long he was in prison, but some people are saying up to 10 years or even up to 13. But we do know that the next chapter, chapter 40, is basically about these two guys who get thrown into prison. And uh, one was a baker and one was a cupbearer for the king. And they have these dreams about their life, and they hear that Joseph can interpret dreams. So they go to Joseph, and Joseph tells one of them some really good news, and the other one some really bad news about their dream. And the dreams come true, and while the one who got the good news, Joseph says, hey, if you're going to go back, you know, the dream was he was going to get reinstated to the king. When you see the king, remind him or tell him about me. Get me out of here. The guy goes back, he gets reinstated just like G uh, Joseph interpreted to happen, and he forgets. And what we know is that at least two more years go by Joseph being in prison after that took place. But then something happens where the king, or yeah, Pharaoh, is having this dream over and over. 
and he's tormented by it. And he has all these wise men come, and he has all these magicians come, and they're all trying to tell him, or he's asking them, what does my dream mean? And no one seems to know. And this one guy who got reinstated, he says, oh, I remember Joseph. He interpreted my dream. So he tells the Pharaoh about him. Joseph comes. Story goes, he tells Pharaoh exactly what it means. And the story, the dream is basically that there's going to be seven years of famine, but we have seven years to prepare for that, and we should store away in barns. And basically, Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph and in him interpreting this dream, he puts him in charge of everything. He says, okay then, you make the plan for how we're going to store away for seven years so that we have enough for the seven years of famine that's going to happen. So Joseph, again, from his destitute situation gets elevated to this place. And we see Joseph's life not really in the trajectory that he thought it would go, but we see God with him through every difficult situation. So we'll jump now to chapter 45. You could preach a lot on just the end of Joseph's life and, and how he walks with his brothers. I love the story of his brothers showing up. So what happens? Seven years of famine hits the land. Everybody's starving. Everyone knows Egypt has extra food. So Jacob sends his sons, the ones who planned to kill Joseph and threw him and sold him in slavery, sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. I mean, this is just like, this is good movie material, Right? You know, the sons have to show up. They get brought into the place. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they have no idea who he is because he looks different. And, you know, honestly, what's funny is for the next four chapters, he kind of messes with his brothers. Now, I've heard so many people preach on, like, the wisdom of what Joseph did. I'm not sure about that. I'm pretty sure he was just a little bit mad at his brothers. First, he hides, you know, the, the money in their sack. He ties up one of the brothers, says, I'm going to keep him until you bring back your other brother that I've never met. And then he hides the money in the sack and later accuses them, or he actually hides his silver cup in the sack the second time they come and accuses them of stealing it. And we see this whole weird thing take place. But at the end, right, they finally come. And it says he breaks down. He throws everybody out of the court. And he reveals himself to his brothers. Now they're in shock. Imagine this moment. They've just been messed with. And actually it was a long period of time because he made them travel back to their father. The father basically said, just leave Simeon there. I mean, poor Simeon. He literally gets left. We don't know how long. But it was long enough that their food ran out again. They were going to starve to death again. And then the father's like, because basically Jacob would not send Benjamin because he cared about Benjamin so much. He's like, I'm not sending Benjamin to be risked and be taken by this, this leader. So Simeon, that's too bad. But eventually they're, they're starving again. And so he says, fine, go. And Judah actually is the one that makes it happen. Judah makes this really weird covenant with his father that's just messed up. If you want to really learn how messed up these guys were, he says, listen, Dad, if I don't come back, you can kill my two sons. And so Jacob's like, okay, you can take Benjamin then. Yeah, you're good parents. 
And so they go, and the scenario takes place, and he reveals himself, and the brothers now think, oh my gosh, he's going to kill us all. This is Joseph, our brother, whom we've sold into slavery. He's been messing with us this whole time. He hid the money in our sacks. He hid the cup in our sacks. He's been holding Simeon. And actually, he had already gone and arrested Benjamin and blamed it on Benjamin for stealing that cup and takes him back to prison. Like, they're thinking, we're done. And Judah actually goes in this lament where he's like, this is because of what we did. God's punishing us. And Joseph breaks down in this moment and he cries and he weeps and he's trying to tell his brothers who he is. And we're going to get to chapter 45 and this is what he says. So they're, they're scared. But this is what Joseph says. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to the Pharaoh, the manager of the entire palace, and the governor of Egypt. So listen. We don't know for sure, but many people believe this has been 30 years or close to 30 years. He spent a couple years being sold into slavery, and then he spends 10 to 12, up to 13 years maybe in this prison. And now he's probably been Pharaoh's advisor for 14 to 15 years. He's had a long time to think about this. And even this famine that's been going on for one to two years, he's known his brothers are alive, his father's alive, and he, this kind of weird scenario where he sends them home and they come back, that could easily have been over a year and a half's time. And he's been thinking about this the whole time. And instead of coming to the place where he's so angry with them that he kills them, instead he realizes his original dream that God gave him. He realizes that even in the midst of the most difficult situations of his life, God was doing something incredible. And that him being hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, and then even elevated to this place of being Pharaoh's number one guy was not for his benefit, but it was all for the love of of his family. You see, God had already made a promise. You know, the promise was for Abraham. And he speaks to Abraham, even in his old age, and he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and your descendants are going to be more numerous than the, the stars in the sky. And Abraham couldn't believe him, but he has that son Isaac. And Isaac grows up and has a son named Jacob. And you see, there was this promise to Abraham that said, your generations, your people will be my people, and I will make you a blessing, not for yourselves, but because you will be a blessing to the world. And so Joseph is not really just a story about Joseph. Joseph's story is a story about the promise God made to Abraham to his people. 
that even though you've screwed this whole world up, I'm going to make a people who I'm going to show the world what my nature is really like. And even because, even though you continue to make really bad decisions, even though you continue to live in ways that don't look like my ways, even though you have multiple wives and all of this kind of messed up family situation, I am going to preserve your family. This is God. I am going to preserve your family, not just for you, Joseph, not just for Jacob, but because I made a promise to this world that I would show them my love. And so even in the midst of crazy difficult situations and thrown into prison for Joseph and all of these things that have happened since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph and his descendants, God is saying, listen, I don't care what's happening in the world, but my purpose of love is going to be accomplished. And so he'll use anybody. He'll use whatever situation's occurring. And the thing that encourages me about a story like this is we're all just the same. Maybe we're a little smarter. Maybe we aren't getting married to multiple people or treating our children in kind of such terrible ways. But we all are lost and broken in so many others. Yet Jesus comes on the scene and he says very similar words to his people, his church that he's building. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The good news is the nature of our Father in heaven showing his love to this world. In Matthew 28, Jesus, last, some of his last words to his disciples, and he, it's called the Great Commission, right? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the commands I have given you. Yet in John 15, we see Jesus boiled down the commands to one. Love each other as I have loved you. So Christianity is really about this one thing. The nature of our Father in heaven showing his love to a world that doesn't know it. And that even in the midst of Whatever your difficult situation, whatever place you feel like, maybe you feel like you're living in a pit like Joseph did or living in a prison like Joseph did. Maybe you feel betrayed like Joseph did. Even in the midst of that, God wants to show his love to you and then in return show it to the world. I think the question always ends up this, will we let him? Will we let him use those prison moments? Or will we get disillusioned and just lash out in anger or get our revenge or, or act equally towards those that act bad towards us? Or will we let the nature of our Father actually be seen in the world around us? You see, I think suffering and difficulty in our lives is probably one of the most difficult things for Christians to deal with because we have this illusion that once we follow Jesus, everything's supposed to be okay. I'm sure Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all had that same illusion. Oh, we're, we're God's chosen people. 
I mean, let alone what happens after Joseph. After, after Joseph dies, the Egyptians forget that Joseph was a good guy and all of his descendants become their slaves for 430 years. And the story after that is again we see God come back for his promise and lead them out of Egypt. And we know the story of the Hebrew people. But you see, all of this is around one thing, that God is showing his love to the world, and it's through us. It's through our situations. It's through our lives. Even Jesus had to understand this. Let's turn to Matthew 26. I'm going to end here in just a moment. Matthew 26. Jesus comes. You know, we celebrate Christmas. Jesus comes as a baby. He's, he's raised you know, we believe he was fully man, yet he understood who he was as God as well. And he had this relationship with the Father. But he was modeling what it was to be a human here on this earth. He was modeling how we were supposed to live. And he knows he's going to be sacrificed on this cross as the only person who's never sinned that could take our sins, our misses, our missing the mark of our lives. He could take them on that cross and discard of them forever. He knew this was what was about to be accomplished. Yet when we come to Matthew 26, these are his words. It says he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished and distressed. This is Jesus. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. These are Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he knows he's going to be arrested. He's going to be taken to the cross. He's going to be sacrificed. You know, we love to celebrate this sacrifice, but the reality of what Jesus endured for us sometimes is missed. And even Jesus, knowing what would be accomplished, he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And then it says, and he asked them, stay here and keep watch with me. So he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground and praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. I want to stop there for a second. How many of us have pleaded that same thing? Maybe not with those words. But we've pleaded, God, can you just change this? Can you just stop this situation? Can you just do a miracle here? Like, this is just too much for me to bear. My, my soul is being crushed, Jesus. Even Jesus asks those questions of his father. It's not wrong for us to ask. You know, I, I've often talked about my daughter Mara and her diagnosis and, and all of that stuff. And, and, and really, I've come to this place in my life where if someone were to say, hey, if you could change it all, if you could go back and not have to deal with all of those difficulties in her life, would you do it? And I would say, no, I couldn't do it. I couldn't say I want that to be different. But what I always say is, but it could be over. <laughs> You see, I have seen God do incredible things through the most difficult situations in my life. And yet, when I see those, I'm like, okay, God, thank you for that. And, and I, okay, I, I'm not going to wish that that was over, but I would wish that it was over now. And I think that's where Jesus is in this moment. He's like, you know, maybe, maybe we could 
do something different. Maybe you could take this cup from me. But yet he answers in his own question to his father. He answers himself and he says this, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And I think we're faced with the same place. Luckily, it's not to end up on a cross. But in our own ways, in our own lives, there is sometimes a place where we come and things are crushing us. And and Jesus doesn't just come and rescue us out of the situation. And we can't always see what's beyond that situation. We can't always see what God's going to do in it. Now, I want to tell you this. I don't really think God creates these scenarios in our life, these painful situations, purposely to work through them. I don't think he created my daughter being diagnosed with autism, my son being diagnosed with severe autism. I don't think he created that situation, but I'll tell you this, he doesn't waste it. Whatever situation you've dealt with for years and years in your life, he may not have created it, but he certainly, as a good God, will not waste it in your life. And as much as we want those things to be over in a moment, sometimes even the suffering in our life is for love. Romans 8, why don't we all stand? Romans 8 says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. I love, I love Romans and this picture of our Father in heaven that Paul is writing about, trying to get the Romans to understand this relationship with, with God, with their Father. He said, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, this intimate name. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Oh, this is so wonderful. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I wish the scripture ended there. But the end of this scripture is something that we don't grasp well. But if we are to share his glory... We must also share his suffering. I've read that so many times and just been like, Paul, why? Couldn't you have just left that out? Why do we have to share in suffering? There's no blanket answer for that. I I don't know how to explain that in some way that all of us can be like, yes, suffering. But what I know is this, that on the other side of suffering, I experience a love I never understood before. You see, on the other side of all the suffering that, that maybe has happened even in my life as a, in being married to Jessica and with our children, there's been suffering. There's been difficult situations. But on the other side of those things, I experience a love for my kids, a, a love for my wife, and a love for my Father in heaven that I didn't understand before. And so even in the most difficult places, God wants to use those things all for love. You see, when I started just thinking about this series, 
It's easy to talk about the wonderful things God does, the wonderful promises that are in Scripture, and say, oh, they're all for love. But what about the bad stuff? What about the hard stuff? Because when it says all for love, that's what it means, all. Everything that's ever happened, everything that will happen, every difficult situation, every wonderful situation, God can use all for his love in this world. That's the most incredible thing about him. Maybe you've been dealing with something really difficult. I wanna encourage you today. God has a story of love on the other side of it. And actually, it's not always just on the other side. It's in the midst of it. Sometimes we have to have a different perspective at whatever is difficult right now, and we can look and say, God, how are you showing me your love right now in my life? What are you trying to show me in the midst of this? Where is your nature true in this situation? Because when the people of God can find the nature of God in the most difficult situations, I think that's when the world might become interested. See, the world isn't interested in people with perfect lives. All that does is say, I'll never fit in. But when the world sees lives that are messy and difficult and broken, but yet they see God in the midst, they see love in the midst, they see joy in the midst of that, that's when the world goes, wait, what is that? We're all called to show the nature of our Father in heaven just like that. So I want to pray this morning. I want to pray for two groups of people. One first being, maybe you have no idea what the love of God is like. Maybe you found yourself in this room or watching online and you're not even sure why. But I'm telling you this, God wants you to know his love. It's not more complicated than that. There is some more work to be done in you. But the first part is just saying, God, I want to experience your love. And it can start just like that, just simply saying it. God, I want to experience your love. I want that grace you have for me. So I'm going to pray for that group in a second. And then I want to pray for anybody in this room, anybody watching online that says, I feel stuck in a prison place in my life. I don't know how to see the goodness of God where I'm at right now. I don't know how to see the love of God where I'm at right now. If that's you, if you're in this place, I'd love for you to just put your hand up. Wherever you're at. If you feel stuck, you feel like you can't see through the thick of it right now, I just want to pray for you. So we're going to pray right now. Listen, if you're in this room, if you're online, and you want to receive that, I'm going to ask you just to do a little gesture. Just You don't have to put your hands up. Put Those of you that did, thank you. Put your hands out like this. Just a sign of receiving, right? We put our hands like this. And, and honestly, I'm going to ask everybody to do that. Not just some. Let's, let's all do this. We want to receive. Father, I pray right now, just as we put our hands out, God, God, just as this kind of symbolic act, God, we want to receive your love. God, we want to receive your goodness in our life. 
And God, for those in this room or watching online that have never received it, God, I ask right now as they whisper words to you, as they speak out from their heart to you, God, they want your love. God, I pray that it would wash over them in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for every person that just feels stuck in a prison place, not being able to see your goodness through the suffering, your goodness through the difficulty. God, I pray right now that your perspective would come in Jesus' name. God, that your goodness would come in their life right now. God, that they'd start to see kind of a a break-open moment where they could just see a little bit further. God, or they'd, they'd receive a perspective just seeing your love in the midst of these moments. But God, we thank you for who you are this morning. We thank you for what you've done in every one of us. God, we thank you that love is the purpose of why you're here in our lives. And God, we ask right now, let us us model that to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. If God's doing something in your heart, I just want to challenge you. Tell someone today, okay? Tell a friend. Tell the person you're with. This is what I feel God's saying to me today, okay? Be blessed. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.